0: What now? Bill Stewart is going to bring the word today. It's pretty cool. I was thinking about this as I was singing Bill. I was thinking, let's see, I think we started this series out of Matthew 24 and 25 with Bill bringing the word. He kicked us off in the series, and Bill gets to close out this series uh, in a very powerful passage. So excited about how God's going to use you, Bill. So as he comes, let's pray. Let's ask that God fills him with the spirit and fills us so that we can listen. Lord, I pray blessing upon this time, Father, as we uh, seek to understand, Lord, this powerful word that your son gave to the crowd and now gives to us. Lord, may your spirit work in our hearts as we receive your word. May we respond to it as you desire. We give you praise for all that you'll do in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. All right, Bill. Thank you. So a few weeks back, I found out that there would be a donkey here this morning. Then I looked on my calendar and I said, how on earth do I follow a donkey? And then I was taken to Numbers chapter 22. The Lord said, check this out in the Old Testament where he allowed a donkey to talk to let the rider know that there was a danger up ahead that they should be concerned about. I said, all right, well, we're not going to focus on that donkey anymore. There's a talking donkey here who can really help you to look forward in the word of God this morning and see that there is something very big that we should be paying attention to. So, that didn't land like I thought it was going to. But <laughs> welcome. My name's Bill. I'm part of the teaching team here. I am delighted to see everybody here. We're filling this place up. It's great to see. Welcome to everybody online. Facebook live. Great to have you here with us. We wish you could be here in person. We miss seeing you. I know it's just a one-way street here you can see us but we can't see you I remember what that was like in April of last year as our family gathered for Easter service at home as we were kicking off this pandemic and I was determined that we were going to be dressed for Easter everybody was going to be up and showered and ready to go Bibles in hand sitting around for Easter service and it happened it went pretty well And successive Sundays, it did okay, but it started to fall off. And eventually, there's kids laying sideways in chairs. One's finishing cereal. My hair's doing this weird peacock thing. So it's good sometimes that it's one way. But that's how it is sometimes in the virtual environment. It's nice to be able to turn off the camera in a meeting and just have your name up there so that people can't see you. That's kind of how it's designed. And we see it a lot in social media as well. That we can post our greatest moments so people can see the perfection of our lives, they can see just what we want them to see, but then we miss out on showing them a lot of the mess and the brokenness and the struggle that is definitely part of our lives as well. And this facade that we can portray on social media can be someone totally different than who we really are. We can hide our true identity. Unfortunately, this same reality can make its way into our Christian lives. We can follow Jesus in word. We can follow him by being here in church. But day to day, our walk with Jesus can sometimes have very little effect on our lives. This goes against everything we read in the Bible. It says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. What we do dictates the kind of person we actually are. And this is a very common theme in the Bible. Particularly our passage this morning. We're going to see that our actions reveal our identity. So before we look at the text, before we dive into the Bible this morning, I want to ask you a key question. If someone took a close look at your life, if they peeled away the facade and took a close look at you, who would they see? They see someone that's marked by following Jesus, or they're going to see someone that's marked by following something else, something of this world, something that doesn't matter. Over the last seven weeks, we've been in this series called What Now? Looking forward into the future so we can affect how we live today. In this section of Matthew, known as the Olivet Discourse, it's Jesus' discussion with his disciples on the Mount of Olives. That's where we get a discussion on the Mount of Olives, Olivet Discourse. Jesus is sharing with his disciples about many events that are going to come up in the future. The first one is the destruction of the temple, the end of the temple. He's saying that this is all going to come falling down. This way has passed. The system of the law and the rules and sacrifices is done. Jesus is saying, I am the way to worship God now. He also talks about the destruction of Jerusalem and some of the awful suffering that's going to happen through that. And then he has a real heavy focus on the signs of his coming, when he's coming, the end of the age, and what to look forward to for that. And Jesus uses many parables when he's telling and instructing of this. These are moral and spiritual lessons that cause us to think about exactly what he's saying. He used the parable of a fig tree to help us to understand when he would be coming. He used a parable of a wise servant and wedding guests, some who were prepared for the bridegroom to come and some who were not prepared. Last week we saw the parable of the talents. How do people use what they've been given by God until the time when he comes back? And these parables that he was telling to his disciples that day, and let's clear the air here. When we're talking about his disciples, he was teaching the twelve on the Mount of Olives But the definition of being a disciple is anybody who follows in the words and the ways of Jesus. So when we're talking disciples, we can include ourselves in that conversation. So the disciples were being taught these parables and they were very significant to them because they would be prepared for what was to come so that they could live lives on this earth in preparation for that. And today we're going to be looking at the final section of this prophetic discussion on the Mount of Olives in Matthew 25, 31 to 46. So if you turn in your Bibles to that section of Scripture, if you don't have a Bible and you would like one, we have them in back with a net. They're the same version that we use. They'll match the screen, and that's our gift to you. If you'd like to have one that you can write in the margins and keep it, we would love to give that to you. But before we get started, throughout Jesus' discussion, there's been a theme of coming judgment particularly there's always been a call to be ready for his return and as we read today this judgment theme is reaching its climax and it's gonna force us to ask a couple of questions the first one what does it mean to be ready how are we to be prepared and the second question is what are we to be ready or prepared for and this section of scripture today helps us answer these questions So let's read the first few verses of Matthew 25. I'm going to start in 31 through 33. It says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And as we look at this section of the Olivet Discourse, we see three truths that are going to impact us today. And the first one is, Christ will one day gloriously return. It's spelled out clearly in verse 31 there. We see it two times, in fact, that he's going to come in massive glory, which is stark contrast to how he came to this world originally in a very obscure way, making his way, his coming known only to shepherds and to a few animals where he traded the glories of heaven for a very unremarkable cradle in the dirt. When he comes back the second time, it's going to be a very public, very profound event in history. And he's bringing a few people with him. A few beings are going to come with him. We see this in verse 31. Not just an angel or two, but he's bringing all the angels with him. So when we say glory we have to imagine what's it going to look like when Jesus comes back with all the angels of heaven. Conservative estimates, from Revelation it says 10,000 times 10,000, which is 100 million angels. Can you imagine 100 million angels? Bigger estimates are as big as 105 billion, which is one angel for every person on the earth. So even if we err on the small side, Jesus is coming back with 100 million angels. Angels as far as we can see, in every direction, filling the land and the sky, and Jesus is at the center of it all, and as he returns in this inconceivable glory, he's coming to bring judgment, coming to separate all people of this earth into two categories, the sheep and the goats. Throughout the Old Testament, sheep are seen as the image of God's people or those who are part of the kingdom of God. So his return is going to be the ultimate division of those who have, up to this point, been mixed together. See, in the Middle East, even at the present day, sheep and goats are pastured together. They look a lot alike. They're not like the sheep that we would think of now, beautiful and white. They're, even when they're clean, they're hard to tell apart beiges and grays, they look a lot alike. So it takes a really practiced eye to distinguish between those two species. I don't think I could tell them apart. What I know of sheep is sweaters and the meat for Greek euros, which are awesome. And what I know of goats is cheese. So I definitely couldn't tell the two apart. But that makes the point. I can't easily separate them because I'm not the shepherd. In the pasture of this world, the sheep and the goats are currently dwelling together but one day the shepherd king is going to return and he's going to separate all of these people into two distinct groups the task is going to be easy for him he knows his sheep he knows his followers his spirit dwells within us as Christians and we know him we know his voice so believers Let's look forward to that day with great expectation when Jesus, our shepherd king, is coming back to make all things right and we will be with him for all time. And this should affect how we live today, living as sheep in his flock and not as a goat. Is this separation maybe a sobering reality for you this morning? Are you sitting here or maybe listening online? thinking, am I just looking like a sheep? Friend, Jesus knows your true identity. We can try to fit in, we can try to look like a sheep, but Jesus will ultimately judge which group you belong to, which has us ask a very serious question. On what basis will Jesus make this judgment? How will he determine who is a sheep and who's a goat? It's a fair question to ask. We'll see it in our next passage. Let's open back up. Matthew chapter 25, verses 34 through 45. And Jesus says in verse 34, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. And he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. The second truth we see here this morning is faith without works is worthless. So far we've heard Jesus talk about two types of people. He's talked about sheep and he's talked about goats. Now the sheep are on the right and the goats are on the left. The right hand of the Father is a place of high honor. We see in Hebrews chapter 12 that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. It's a place reserved for much honor. And now we learn that those on the right, the sheep, those who are blessed by the Father, are inheriting the kingdom. They are the righteous. And those on the left, the goats, are not blessed but in fact are cursed. Jesus, the Son of Man, our shepherd king, has made a final separation of those who follow him and those who don't. So what is it about this passage? What is the defining factor of being a sheep or being a goat? What's the thing that gave the sheep the invitation to come and cause the goats to depart? Why was one group blessed and one group cursed? And we read here in this passage, according to Jesus, the blessed or the righteous, they fed and watered and clothed and visited him, while the cursed did the complete opposite. And whether they knew it or not, the righteous, as they were helping people, were credited with helping Jesus himself. The people that they were helping were associated with Jesus to such an extent that Jesus counted help rendered to them as help being given to him. So who were these people? Why were they so important? Because the Bible instructs us all over the place to humbly serve people, but Jesus is a little bit more specific here. He's referring to help rendered to our brothers and sisters in Christ, fellow believers, We see it in verse 40 where he says, Whenever you did it for the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. The point is that Jesus is closely identifying himself with his followers, so much so that he's saying, Anything you do for them, you're doing for me. And it's not just isolated to this passage. We see it elsewhere in the Bible. One of the most important places we see it is when Saul is on his rampage against the Christians. He's on his way to Damascus to continue his shock and awe campaign, burning towns and villages, dragging Christians out to be martyred, or dragging them back to Jerusalem to throw them in prison. And he meets Jesus. A great blinding light knocks Saul to the ground, and Jesus doesn't ask him, why are you persecuting those Christians? He says to Saul, why are you persecuting me? He's identifying with those Christians that are being persecuted in such an intimate manner that the persecution against them is direct persecution against him, against Jesus. He's saying, if you're messing with them, you're messing with me because they are mine. Jesus identifies our service to our fellow Christians as service to him. And it's that service or lack of that's the defining factor here. That's the criteria for the judgment. And it's a lot of people look at this passage and say well this is a works based theology. This is you working for your salvation. But that's not the point that Jesus is making here. See, he's not asking how many good works have you done? He's not asking with a spreadsheet saying did you help this guy in prison? Check did you do this? Check. Okay, you can enter in. Instead what he's asking is what kind of person are you? What's your inward identity? That's the distinguishing factor for a sheep and a goat. Are you a person overflowing with love and mercy demonstrated by Jesus, or are you one characterized by no concern for those in need? Because true salvation, friends, true salvation naturally births loving acts, and over time they become a part of who we are. We see this in verse 37. The saints are a little bit surprised that Jesus is making this statement. He said, when did we do this? When did we clothe you? When did we minister to you? When did we give you food? These outward signs of a living faith are so second nature to them that they're taken back that Jesus is even noticing it. This is what it means to be a Christian. Following Jesus' example and loving our brothers and sisters in Christ is part of who we are. Joe Doan is the fire chief of algonac dan used him as an illustration last week i thought he was fair game and i asked him and he said it was fine but joe's been a firefighter for like 35 years i remember in high school he had the emergency pager on him and he could walk right out of the front door like he owned the place with if there was a fire or an emergency so he's been doing this for a very long time He's had all kinds of training and schooling, and now he finds himself as the chief of the fire department here, responsible for finances and budgets and everything to do with the fire department. So, would you say it's fair that Joe's probably been at a fire or two? He's probably been on site when buildings are burning and doing the things that a firefighter does? Joe couldn't be a firefighter if he never showed up at a fire. If the alarm went off and people loaded up on the engines to head it out and Joe put his feet up on the desk and said, you know, I know all the facts and I know what it takes to put out a fire, but you guys got this. I'm going to sit here. That wouldn't work. Because a person can't claim the identity without evidencing it in outward acts of obedience. The outward evidence of being a firefighter is actually putting out fires. And the outward evidence of being a Christian is loving and serving people like Christ. It's exactly what James, the brother of Jesus, teaches in James 2 14 to 26. Listen to this. He said, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. The Apostle John in 1 John three sixteen through 18 says similarly, says, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods, pay attention to that, the world's goods, and sees his brother in need, and yet closes his heart against him how does god love abide in him little children let us not love in word or talk but in deed and truth and i believe that this is a much needed reminder for us we are here in america and we are up to our eyeballs in the world's goods would you agree with me money and food and shelter and medicine and transportation we have it in abundance here in Even next door and around the world, some believers have next to nothing. There are many ways we can reach out to them. There are many programs we can use to reach out to them. There's church organizations here. There's things through Woodside we can do. There's parachurch organizations like Compassion. There's ways to reach out and help. One of the easiest ways you can help is joining a group getting to know brothers and sisters in Christ in a very real and intimate way, being able to pray with them and help them in times of need, the very real way to put this into action in your life. Because Jesus says, whenever you did this for the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. And keep in mind, this is not us working to gain God's favor. Acts of love and mercy are never done to buy our way into heaven but they're an expression of God's love in our life. Because if we have truly experienced the love of God, we will then definitely express the love of God. Because a person is not a disciple of Jesus because of family history. Mom and dad are Christians, so I'm a Christian. It doesn't work like that. People are not followers of Jesus because they've been baptized. That's an outward expression showing people who you are, but it doesn't save you. You're not a Christian because you recited some verses from the Romans road and said a sinner's prayer. That's not what it means. One is a disciple by truly placing their faith in Jesus and then actually living out Jesus' compassion for the glory of God. So, what does your faith look like? Is your faith one that is active? A faith that works, or is it just a prayer you prayed that really hasn't changed you much? True faith not only changes our hearts, but it also mobilizes our hands and our feet to live it out. True faith serves. So where's your faith taking you? What will Jesus say of your faith when he comes? Let's look at our final verse this morning. Final verse in this message and in this series, verse 46. Verse 46 says, And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The last thing we see here in this passage is that your faith determines your destination. Throughout Jesus' discussion here, we've seen that there have been only two types of people. There have been those who are blessed those who are cursed, those who are for and those who are against. We've seen that there are only two possible destinations, being with God for all eternity or being separated from God for all eternity. There's eternal life or eternal punishment, entering the kingdom or entering into eternal fire. An important note here is that while The kingdom of heaven was prepared in advance for the believers. The fire that we're reading about here was not prepared for those who are cursed. They're going to a fate that was not meant to be theirs. The Bible we just read, it says it was prepared for Satan and his demons. It wasn't prepared for the curse, but they're going there anyways. Throughout this message, we see a need for the gospel. It's so important for us as Christians. This gospel message has been entrusted to us. And seeing this, seeing that there are cursed people who are going to an eternal destination separated from Jesus should make it all the more important for us to share the gospel message. We've alluded to it throughout this message this morning, but I wanna make it very clear about what the gospel is. It's an old English term, gospel, it's God's spell. It actually meant good tidings, We call it the good news because that's exactly what it is. It's very good news. It's the good news that we were hopelessly separated from Jesus. We were called cursed because of sin. But God made a way. That way, Jesus, it's good news that he left the splendor of heaven and was willing to live on this earth with his creation understanding our struggles and our temptations and our hurts. But he was able to do it all sinlessly. It's good news that he was a sinless, perfect, spotless lamb. It's good news that this spotless lamb, Jesus, died a sacrificial death in our place to cover our sins with his holiness. It's even better news. It's great news that he didn't stay dead, that he rose again, conquering sin and death proving that he was who he said he was. And it's good news that you can be with him forever by turning from sin and trusting in him alone by faith as your savior. That's saving faith. That's the gospel. As we saw in the last point, faith without works is worthless. But now we see that our faith, our response to that good news determines our eternal destination. Because when Jesus, our shepherd king, returns one day, he's going to separate all people into two camps. And the distinguishing factor is whether we have true, authentic faith or not. If I say that I love my wife, and how couldn't I? But if I say I love her, scream it from the mountaintops, I love her! And yet every day I mistreat her, In any number of ways, do I really love her? Is loving her what I say or is loving her what I do? My actions would tell the real story. And so it is with our faith. We can say that we love Jesus. We can say that we have faith. But our actions prove it. So as we close this morning, we all just bow our heads and close our eyes and think about what we've learned. As we move into Holy Week, as we begin to celebrate Jesus' resurrection, ask yourself in this time, where have I placed my faith? Is it placed in the hands of Jesus Christ who willingly died for your sins? Is your faith in the living Christ who walked out of that tomb and sits at the right hand of the Father? And is that faith active in helping and serving your brothers and sisters in Christ? Believer or unbeliever, if the answer to either of those questions is no, we would love to talk to you, to pray with you, to help you see how you can believe in Jesus for salvation, how you can make your faith active in helping your brothers and sisters. So back to the question that I asked at the beginning. When Jesus looks at your life, day in and day out, what identity does he see? Not the person you project on social media, not the person you are in church when everybody's looking, but the real you. Our Lord and Savior spoke these words that evening on the Mount of Olives so we could live lives today for him in light of what was to come. He's going to come back one day to sort out everything. And our true identities will be revealed by the shepherd king. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are returning, that you are going to make a great separation. But Lord, we ask that you would be with us and embolden us to share the love of Jesus Christ with everyone. Lord, so that all who are willing could know you. Lord, we're so thankful that you've shown us this morning that Our actions reveal where our faith is at, and we pray, Lord God, that you would make us active in that faith. Help us to reach out to brothers and sisters in need. Help us to pray for them and love them as you love us. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself to us today.